Welcome to An Honorable Profession, a podcast giving America hope since 2018. I'm Ryan Coonerty. Along with Debbie Cox Bolton of the New Deal, I'm lucky enough to be your co-host. An Honorable Profession is a New Deal Leaders podcast. The New Deal is an organization that supports the next generation of American leaders. From attorneys generals, to state senators, to mayors, to school board members, these are the people that are pushing policies and politics that will respond to climate change, rebuild our economy, address racial injustice, and restore our democracy. These are incredibly talented people who have dedicated themselves to public service when their country and their communities needed it the most. Check out NewDealLeaders.org to see what I'm talking about. Today, I talked to former U.S. Senator Mary Landrieu. Senator Landrieu represented the state of Louisiana in the U.S. Senate, and now she's in Glasgow, Scotland, representing her state at COP26, the Global Climate Summit. We talk about opportunities to address climate change, both through government policy as well as private action, how Democrats should use the issue to build a new and stronger coalition, and what she sees as the biggest opportunities for state and local governments to respond to climate change. Senator Mary Landrieu, welcome to An Honorable Profession. It is wonderful to be speaking with you today. Well, thank you so much, and it's wonderful to hear you refer to what we do as honorable. I'm not sure that uh, everyone agrees with that, but I like to believe that it is actually an honorable profession to serve the public, to be a public servant, and to represent, whether it's a county or a state, or in my case, as I represented the state of Louisiana for 18 years in the Senate. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. Well, thank you. And I, I do have to say, it's it's from a Bobby Kennedy quote that, that, that called politics an honorable profession. And I just want to thank you and your entire family for showing so many of us the way to, to serve honorably and to uh, and to do our best in, in the in the spirit of service for our communities and for our country. Well, I really appreciate that. And growing up in a family, you know, my father, of course, was the mayor of New Orleans, uh, a local elected official for many years and mayor in the 70s. And my brother served as legislator and lieutenant governor and mayor of New Orleans as well. And my husband served for 12 years in local government in a small town in North Louisiana and uh, his family as well. So, you know, if you can do it honestly and with integrity and just try to do your best, of course, you're not going to make everyone happy. And of course, in a democracy, people have very different views and ideas, but working hard and showing up for work every day and not taking your, you know, yourself too seriously, but take your work seriously and try to do your best. I mean, that's all you can do. And without people like this and our government, you know, it just wouldn't, wouldn't function. And I know there are a few corrupt bad apples and there are a few pompous people running around, but if most people would just, you know, think that most people in public office are just trying to serve their communities. And so thank you so much. And I appreciate that. You talk about serious issues, and there may be no more serious issue than the than the impact of climate change and and the need to address it. Uh, as we talk, the House passed an infrastructure bill which had elements of 
uh, responding to climate change on Friday. COP26 is happening in Glasgow, and you're there representing your state, bringing your experience to the table. Can you give us a sense as to where you think we are in terms of response, and and, and is the world ready and our country ready to meet the, the challenge we have ahead of us? Well, first, let me take a minute to just talk about the bipartisan and truly bipartisan infrastructure package that was passed by Congress and led by President Joe Biden, uh, fashioned and designed by 10 to 20 equally divided United States senators from both parties that have listened to the past four or five presidents call for an infrastructure package, but yet could not be delivered by President Obama. It wasn't delivered by Donald Trump. It wasn't delivered by George Bush and Joe Biden delivered it. And it was messy and it was ugly and it was frustrating and it was confusing as you watched the process work, but it passed. And it's a $1.2 trillion investment, not only in roads and bridges, um, but in broadband infrastructure for our rural communities. We have tax credits and special research investments for new clean energy technologies things that will help rural areas, suburban areas, industrial areas, you know, on the climate initiatives, not just getting the CO2 from being released in the atmosphere and and taking out what's already there, but doing it in a way that creates better and higher paying jobs and puts American manufacturing first. So with the tax credits for carbon sequestration and helping our industries convert and use more hydrogen, the um, investment in electric vehicles and electric vehicle powering stations. I mean, it's kind of interesting and exciting. I mean, even in Louisiana, that's, you know, not as maybe, of course, as different views in like a state like California, but it's exciting to think about a 150 pickup truck running, you know, completely on electricity. And then when the hurricanes come, you can just, you know, plug your car into your house and keep the lights on. I mean, that is really interesting, I think, and exciting to people. And so the price is to come down and, you know, but it will. I mean, just like when you bought your first flat screen television, it cost $3,000. Now it costs 300 I mean, it's just the way America is so good at, you know, innovating. And so I just want to say, you know, congrats. That bill was not put together by the Democratic or Republican leadership. It was put together by 10 and then 20 independent United States senators that said, we want to work together to do this for the country. So kudos and congratulations. And and had I still been in the Senate, I'd like to believe that I would have been in the vanguard in that group working across party lines to get that done. And so we can be proud of that in a country that's so divided now, be really proud that our Congress was able to come together and produce such an important piece of legislation. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I'm I'm at the county level out here in California, county commission, and those funds will allow us to do really innovative things long overdue that, and frankly, we can do them sooner rather than later. It saves taxpayer money because we're not just keeping, Mm -hmm. you know, putting band-aids over the problem. We're actually fixing the problems and investing in a more resilient infrastructure for the future. Absolutely. And then, you know, and on the climate 
side, I am here in Glasgow, Scotland. It's really my first time in Scotland and my first time to a cop. Of course, I've read about, followed many of them. I mean, this is the you know the COP26 where the leaders showed up. Every five years, the leaders come, and in between that, the delegations work. And I walked through the Blue Zone this morning. I literally just got back, and that's what they call the main you know, convention hall, which that's what it is, just like a huge convention hall, like it would look like a, a big trade show. But instead of different companies showing their different products or new gadgets or, you know, big like Detroit car show, I guess, it's countries having large pavilions with um, big movie screens or pictures up or digital displays showing what their commitment is to climate, how they're, you know, what they're doing with the rainforest or what they're doing with new technology, new products. Again, whether it's new technology for carbon capture, whether it's new technology for wind or solar, how to use natural gas responsibly. I mean, it, it was just really exciting. People in very, you know, speaking different languages and moving around that floor today, it really gave me hope that as the people of the world come together, not just not just politicians, but, you know, business leaders and community leaders, we can really tackle this problem and meet the goals while creating jobs and creating wealth for the United States of America in every community, West Virginia, in South Louisiana, you know, in you know the Sacramento Valley in California. I mean, wherever we can do this. And if business will lead, and I mean a broad swath of business, I think a great coalition, along with the environmental organizations, but a great coalition can be built. And that's why I'm here, you know, trying to build bipartisan consensus. I'm traveling with former Republican and Democratic members of Congress. We're working with, you know, businesses from Shell to Microsoft to Amazon, SAP, and just hundreds of businesses that are making their own decisions how to be more sustainable, more resilient, and make money. This is not a charity. You know, we can do this and make money at the same time. Do you see that as, as a path forward? It feels as though politics moving forward, but slowly, and it's uneven mm-hmm. with you know countries like China and Russia, Saudi Arabia, not necessarily participating in the way we need them to. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's, it may be a market-driven solution? Well, I, I absolutely believe it'll be a market-based solution, but that's why I'm not sure that China is going to drag behind. And I say this not because I'm an admirer of China, but I do understand something about China, and that is they're very smart at business and at you know competition they like to win in the marketplace and everyone in the world is figuring out that customers consumers around the world whether they're conservative or liberal young or old black or white you know the consumers are really wanting cleaner energy cars that have less maintenance it's kind of interesting and unbelievable to think you could drive a car and never have to pay for a gallon of gasoline for the rest of your life the price of your electricity could drop, your skies could be cleaner, your water could be cleaner. People are getting encaptured by this vision. And when China's starting to figure out they can make money at solar, 
I just visited a wind farm here in Scotland, just for instance, and I had forgotten or failed to remember how much Scotland and England had used coal. Of course, you would know this from the movies and books you've watched and history you've read, but I had just kind of forgotten about Scotland, but they're one of the largest coal producers in the world. Now they've converted some of their coal plants to biomass, like they take wood chips and run it into the coal factories, and, and then the trees can grow quickly again. You can't do this everywhere. You don't do it in the Amazon, but you can do it in places like Louisiana and Alabama and Mississippi where we grow pine trees pretty quickly. Maybe you can do that in California as well. So they've converted. And then Scotland has taken, created one of the largest wind farms I've ever seen, 250 of these amazing windmills. But what I love about it is it's actually a farm. So the sheep are grazing right under the windmills. The cows seem happy. There are lots of people like walking around on the trails, little kids riding their bikes. The windmills are going around. Of course, they have lots of wind here. We don't have that in Louisiana onshore. So there are different parts of the world that have different assets, but that's what we're figuring out. So, so Scotland, the end of this is, I think in just maybe a few years, 95% of their electricity will be completely by wind. Now, we can't do that in the United States. Scotland is a small country. It has a lot more wind than we do, but we can do it in parts of the United States and then in other parts, use hydro or nuclear or cleaner gas or fossil fuels that have carbon capture and sequestration. So you're using the fossil fuel, but you're not emitting carbon. And it's possible. And a lot of the technology is already here. And so, yes, government is dragging its feet in, in some sections and some parts. But I'll tell you, the business community is understanding this market well, and they're starting to really advance. Can you give advice? Our listenership is mostly state and local leaders, and we want to do our part to both move policy, but also to tap into these economic opportunities that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. What, what's your advice for a state or local leader who wants to, wants to position their community or their state to create jobs and to reduce their carbon footprint and make life better for their residents? Well, I would first start by saying, Reach out to others, not just try to plow along yourself and try to reach out to people from a different party or people that might have a different view. So if you're a conservative, find a liberal friend. If you're liberal, find a conservative friend. If you're a farmer, maybe find an industrialist in your community and and start building a, a group of people in your community from different walks of life and then come up with some solutions together because that is what is durable. It's not just one party forcing certain things on another party or one governor saying this is the way we're going to do it and then another governor comes in and they repeal all the regulations or in our case, President Trump comes in, rips up Obama's regulations, you know, puts in his new, then Biden comes in and rips those up. I mean, we've got to build as local elected officials at the county level, at the state level, Durable bipartisan solutions that clean, you know, that clean the air, clean the water, reduce the temperature, and create jobs. And I think sometimes I'll be critical of the Democratic Party. We sometimes focus too much on the environment. I know I'd get in trouble if somebody doesn't hear the second thing that I'm going to say is 
you know, to, we focus too much on the environment and not enough on the economic livelihoods of people affected. And we have to do both. Stay focused on, you know, new jobs, creation of new jobs, you know, softer landings for folks that are in the high carbon intensity industries. I also think sometimes Democrats don't have as much faith in technology as they should. Sometimes they don't trust business in some ways that they should because we have great engineers in the fossil fuel industry. We have great engineers in the steel and petrochemicals and manufacturing. If we just give them a goal and say, this is what we want, they're smart engineers. They can figure it out. And we, you know, so I would say build a, you know, bipartisan and diverse coalition of leaders and you'll be more successful and that's what I'm trying to do in Louisiana, uh, working and, and in Washington, you know, working specifically with Republican members of the Senate and House, along with some Democrats, and not all moderates. Some liberal Democrats are at the table, moderate Democrats, conservative Republicans, moderate Republicans, trying to find a way forward, not just for our country, but for the world, because the U.S. is the most important country in this conversation, not the only, but the most important. So... I hope that helps a bit, but I'm I'm actually encouraged, and um, I really am, and I'm seeing some some great signs of, and this infrastructure was a good reminder that we can do big things in a bipartisan way, yeah, if we're willing to share the credit and and not expect to get everything we want in every deal. I think you brought up a, a, a good and fair critique of us Democrats. And one of the other things that we also see, we're having a hard time that we saw in last week's elections, communicating with rural voters mm-hmm. in red and purple states. Mm-hmm. And so if we have state and local leaders who are Democrats, but they're in a red or purple state, how, how do they talk about climate change and this opportunity in a way that that brings more people into our umbrella and helps us win elections more more sustainably. Well, one of the great examples I think in the country is our governor John Bell Edwards. You know, who's a Democrat from Louisiana, but he's representing a fairly you know red leaning state. And John Bell was here at Scotland, and he brought a great delegation here. We have one of the great petrochemical industries. We have a great oil and gas industry. We have agriculture, you know, industry in Louisiana. And we have serious uh, environmental challenges, coastal restoration, coastal erosion. And he's leading on that front, and he's also leaning in. And the way he's doing it is by speaking to businesses, not, not disrespecting them. He's, he's talking to Exxon. He's talking to Dow. He's talking to BAS. He's talking to steel manufacturers. He's talking to agriculture. He's kind of all of the above. Yes, we want more solar. Yes, we want wind. But we also want our gas exporters. We're exporting gas from, from, from Louisiana to China. So China doesn't have to get their gas from Russia. If America stops exporting gas, other countries in the world that need it to make this transition to you know, greener and cleaner will simply buy it from whoever's selling it. And the only other two big countries selling it are Qatar and Russia. So we have a choice in the world. Would you like American, clean American gas? Will we you know, tap methane emissions and send it over, building jobs and improving the trade balance in our country? Or are we just going to give up that? And so John Bell is, that's what he's saying. And I think that 
that makes sense to anyone, whether you're in a red state or a blue state. Joe Manchin's trying to say some of the same things. We know we have to make a transition from coal, but we've got to give, you know, we've got to be fair in this transition to the workers, to the families, to the communities. And look, if Scotland and England can get completely off of coal and their industry, their, you know, unemployment, Scotland's a little high actually right now. And I'm not 100% sure about England, but it seems vigorous here when you're on the ground. You know, I mean, I haven't looked at the exact numbers, but the company that we were with said they did not displace one worker in the transition, not one. That's pretty incredible. Some of them retired with decent pensions. They trained some others to go into, they just moved from, you know, coal to to windmills. It's a lot of the same skill, you know, welding and building and construction. So we, we can do this at home, I believe. And, of course, California is trying some things that may or may not work. Louisiana is going to try its own way. Texas will do some things differently. But that's the strength and beauty of America, so many different states and regions trying different ways, but with the same goal of cleaning up this carbon in the atmosphere, which really warming our earth and planet and warming our oceans and causing havoc. I don't have to tell you all that with your fires and, you know, we have the hurricane, so... Absolutely. Yeah. My district lost 450 homes last year in fires. And now we, now I have to worry about the, if the rains come, if the rains don't come, we got a drought. And if the rains do come, uh, we got debris flow down the, down the burned hillside. So it's, it's never ending and it's only going to get more intense and happen more often. And it's only going to get worse, but we can fix it. We can not only stop the toxins from going into the atmosphere, the technology is really exciting. Not quite there yet, but there's a possibility that we could capture some of it that's already been released. And it's not not for commercial development. It's not scalable. But if we set our mind to do it, so think about the joy of living on a planet where every product is made in a sustainable way, where the oceans are getting cooler, not hotter, you know, where the glaciers are, you know, maybe melting, but not nearly as fast, you know, where the floods are less. I mean, you just have to keep that vision in front of you to give you the strength to move forward and to find a way and stop everybody just being grumpy about, oh, we can't do it. We can't do it. Of course we can. And American business can lead the way. And I mean that, not the politicians maybe, but the people themselves and businesses, large and small, can band together and, you know, work together to get this done. So that's about what I'd like to share today. But it's, it's been fascinating to be here. And, um, it was just amazing to see that wind farm. We don't have this much wind in Louisiana. So, I mean, we can't do exactly this. We have some of it offshore. You know, we'll, we'll have some wind offshore. But, boy, it was a wonderful way to use a resource. And those blades go 180 miles an hour. They're huge. I mean, I can't explain how big these, these, you know, these structures are. But they don't make much noise. And, you know, the sheep seemed happy grazing right under the <laughs> Sheep are happy. Cows are happy. The kids are happy. This is a good thing. <laughs> that is, that is a right. good thing. You take care. <laughs> All right. 
Well, I appreciate you taking the time to join us today and uh, taking a break from the COP26 activities. And I appreciate your leadership and being there uh, as a voice for your state and for our country as we try to confront this global challenge. Well, thank you so much for your leadership and keep pulling those coalitions together. All right. God bless. Take care. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to An Honorable Profession. Please subscribe to hear more amazing leaders. And keep asking your elected officials to be honorable. Boots Road Group produces podcasts. I'm Ryan Coonerty. And because we keep things honorable, no tax dollars were used in the making of this podcast.